you spoke to Everett, the new CEO of Kickstarter. I said, so uh, we hope that finally there's going to be a Facebook pixel on Kickstarter. And, and the magic is that he actually did. He put the pixel on Kickstarter like three days before the end of my campaign. And I was like, God, like, anyway, couldn't have come a month sooner. Hi there, my name is George and welcome to the Crowdfunding Academy podcast. I used to work at Kickstarter and currently I help creators run successful campaigns with my company's YG and Fantastic Funding. On this podcast, you'll hear from creators and my team how they consistently launch record-breaking campaigns so you can do the same. Our guest today is the creator of Mydronome. Mydronome is a MIDI master clock with built-in metronome to keep electronic musicians in sync. Mydronome raised over $160,000 from over 1,000 backers. And the man behind it all, Simon, is here to share how he did it. Simon, welcome. Super great Thank to have you. you on the show. For everyone watching and listening, Simon is eating a piece of cake at the moment, which we <laughs> just learned the French thing, right? Yeah. Well, thank you for I'm, having me here. Pleasure. Absolutely, man. It's, it's such an honor to have you. Simon, as a bit of backstory, so we worked a little bit on Simon's campaign. He has proven to be one of the most brilliant creators I think that we've ever had. Like, we almost kind of felt bad charging him for our services because he just had so many great things that we actually learned from him, just the way he set up his campaign, which is why it's great to have you here today because uh, I, I think everyone, including us, can actually learn a lot from you because you execute it so well. Before we get into that, would you mind giving people a little bit of backstory on who you are, where you are, what your background is? Yeah, I mean, thank you for saying this. I, I didn't know, actually, that I was your best kind. But I, so yeah, my name is Simon. I am French, live in Denmark, and I'm a musician. And my band has had some timing issues when we were playing music. And somehow I came up with this idea of this device that's actually right here. I always have one on the table. And yeah, I mean, we had issues and I thought, hey, I can solve this. I can do a bit of electronics and stuff. And somehow that was like three years ago and the project grew and grew. And I've always had in the back of my head to use crowdfunding um, because I didn't want to go through investors and all that stuff. And I hope the idea was literally, okay, I'm going to create a device that's, you know, that's going to solve a problem. People are going to like this and then, and then it's going to be cheap. That was also my idea. And okay. somehow that works actually pretty well. So you don't have a background in, in electronics or in hardware? No, in hardware. I have a background in software, actually. So I had all the software side that I could do and everything that was hardware, I just learned on the fly. How long did it take Wait. you to learn that? A lot, a lot of time. <laughs> I think I'm a very nerdy person. And I think it's also what I did with the crowdfunding and all the marketing. I just, I just go deep into things and yeah. I just learn. That's a big undertaking to like actually to not just learn crowdfunding, but actually learn electronics and then learn crowdfunding. Um, that's you don't back down for a challenge. That's for sure. So you said you didn't want to raise investment. You wanted to do. You had Kickstarter in the back of your mind. Sort of what were the deciding factors ultimately to then choose to do a crowdfunding campaign and then specifically to do Kickstarter, for example. Well, I mean, like I say, I've always had crowdfunding in the back of my head. So I always thought, let's let's raise some money from people. And then the whole idea of why Kickstarter versus Indiegogo, actually, I wanted to launch on Indiegogo first and I've actually spoken to the Indiegogo guys, ended up going on Kickstarter and I hope it's okay I'm saying this, but like my experience with Kickstarter was really disastrous. Like I, I did not like that at all. Um, wow. Yeah. Please elaborate on that. What was it that you didn't like? 
So like, I mean, first I was pretty shocked both on Indiegogo and on Kickstarter, like the, the, how bad the websites are. Like the editors are so bad. It's like, it's 2023 and they can't make a decent website editor. Like everybody makes their web pages on, of pictures. And as a webmaster, like someone who makes websites, it's just, it's, it, it's so wrong. And it's so weird that you have to make the entire page out of pictures. You can't just write text. And yeah. anyway, that was one of the first factors. But that was on both, literally on both sides to just bad at this. Yeah. But then, then the Kickstarter experience was also like, for example, now. So one of the things is now I'm fighting to get all my backers shipping addresses. Mm-hmm. And this, I don't understand why Kickstarter has this system where people can join basically Kickstarter with their Apple ID and then they don't even have an email. So I don't even have their email. I don't have their shipping address. And the only way I can contact them is one by one on sending a Kickstarter message. And there's no easy way to do this. It's not like you can select them all and say, oh, send message. No, I have to select one. Like it's, I spent hours doing this. And today I still have 30 people that have actually bought a device and that don't yeah. have their... I don't have their shipping address. This is so common. It's so crazy. Right? We actually have this on all the campaigns that we do. We always have, pe- have people that just purchase the thing and then just disappear, which is, it's crazy on all accounts, right? It's crazy from the back for sort of pay for a thing and then disappear. And it's crazy that Kickstarter has that system. Full disclosure, before we go on our rampage of absolutely killing Kickstarter, I used to work at Kickstarter, so all my former colleagues in the product team who are listening, I apologize. I still love you, but I agree with Simon that the product just hasn't hasn't had an update in so long, which is, yeah, it's just weird. But you spoke to Everett, the new CEO of Kickstarter, right? So, yeah, that was actually quite cool. Like, he joined, it was literally a few days before the end of my campaign, or maybe in the middle of my campaign, I think he became CEO. And I mean, I spoke with him. I just, I think I wrote a comment on Instagram and he answered, which was kind of nice. And the comment was a Facebook pixel, basically. I said, so we hope that finally it's going to be a Facebook pixel on Kickstarter. And, and the magic is that he actually did. He put the pixel on Kickstarter like three days before the end of my campaign. And I was like, God, like, anyway. Couldn't have come a month sooner, but yeah. But so that was also one of the things that was terrible about Kickstarter that is now resolved. There's, you can now use the Pixel, yeah, the Facebook Pixel. Yeah, I never ever told you the backstory, but basically one of my good friends was one of the very, very early employees at Kickstarter. And so I asked her once, like, why always this like hesitancy with the Facebook Pixel? And then she was like, oh, like, actually we were going to do it. But then like, yeah, we sent it over to Perry, the co-founder. And he was like, sure. But then someone never followed up on his email. And then just like, it just became an issue that for 10 years just lay dormant, even though everyone was just kind of on board with the idea. And then it just never happened. So you didn't love your experience with Kickstarter because the platform was and continues to under deliver on the needs that you have as a creator, Mm -hmm. but. It matches, but just to finish on this, it kind of matches with stuff that you told me yourself that I think Kickstarter is a bit of a dinosaur. It's like it was pretty much the biggest crowdfunding website for years. And they never really thought about improving it. And they just thought, hey, crowdfunding is cool. And it's true, like the whole idea is cool. And I think it kind of comes from, but like you say, it's just a platform really needs updating. It needs to be modernized. And I actually think the CEO, the new CEO is is working on this. So hopefully it will get better. Yeah, I just heard a podcast with him. They're doing the marketing services now and they are building a pledge manager. So I think... You know, 10 years in, they got the memo, but you're not the only creator who says this, like you're not, 
you're not overly negative or anything. I think, I think it's what a lot of people struggle with. So Kickstarter aside, that wasn't a great experience. What I think, at least for us, was a great experience to see you do is your whole pre-launch. So talk us through what you did to build hype and momentum before your campaign launched, because you did an excellent job there. The whole idea with the pre-launch is the fact that obviously you got the emails, everybody has this, but then they have this $1 reservation. Yeah. Which I think is becoming more and more common where basically, you know, people pay $1 to say, hey, I really want to join the Kickstarter. And just the fact that they have to pay $1 means, you know, they have to take out the credit card and stuff like this. It really is an amazing tool for validating. And I think like in my case, I think it was, it was a mix of luck and like good products at the right time, the right price, the right markets also. And like in my case, there's basically one competitor for this. It's a German company and they've owned the market. Like they were the only one doing clocks basically for years and everybody complained about their prices. And they make actually really great devices. It's all manufactured in Germany, but it's just very expensive. And everybody says literally, it's just so expensive, but there's nothing else on the market. So then I came and say, hey, I can make something cheaper. And then people jumped on it, basically. And so, so just to summarize, so what you did was you built a landing page where people leave their email, then they get an email from you, and then you ask them to pay a $1 reservation. And what was the perk that you were giving for people to, to pay that $1? So the point is like, normally when you launch, you have the super early birds, right? The early birds, and then you have mm -hmm. like the normal Kickstarter special price. Well, basically the, the concept is you add one more level that's cheaper than the super early birds. And that's where you give people that give the $1 reservation. Say, oh, no, you have access to, so I call it the VIP price. Yeah. It's like now you're VIP because you've put down $1 and then you have access to the special price. How did you manage all of that? So let's dive into the nitty gritty. You, you built your own landing page. What software did you use? I did everything in the, in my mail software called MailLite. It's actually a Lithuanian company. This is, you know, fellow Europeans and stuff. So it's kind of funny. And honestly, I love their software. It's amazing. So it's, it's like a big competitor to MailChimp, basically. A lot of people use MailChimp or Clavio. I think MailLite is maybe a bit less known, but I love like everything about the mailing lists side of things is amazing. And then basically they have like another part of the software that comes for free, which is the whole landing page. You can build a whole website on it and it, Honestly, I think I'm going to switch my website to the MailerLite system, actually, because it's it's wow. so amazing. Obviously, it's very basic, like you can't make anything complex. But if you need a very simple website, you can make that very quickly. It's pretty easy and it's super easy to edit or anything. Okay, so you use MailerLite for your both your landing page and the email marketing. And then what did you use to process like the $1 payment? Was that also MailerLite or was that another system? So I used Stripe to process the actual payments. But yeah, obviously that's where I guess I have the advantage that I can code. So I, I did have to tweak a few things, integrate Stripe in the mail light system and stuff. So this is maybe not something everybody can do, but they, again, they're working on this and I, they literally have a Stripe integration in mail lights. It just wasn't working the way I wanted it to work. So I tweaked it and did some coding here, there. Yeah. I think for everyone listening who's not a coder like Simon, there are a bunch of ways you can do this. We sometimes use like WooCommerce, for example, because it integrates with WordPress and then, you know, you make your landing page there instead of MailerLite and then it has it too, but you had a super elegant solution. So how many emails did you collect? How many people paid the $1 reservation? And then how were the conversions after that? So this is where I'm going to bitch about Kickstarter some more. Because basically, if you look at the numbers, I've sold 
like most of my backers are actually the VIPs. They're the people that put yeah. down the one dollar reservation. I didn't get much backers from Kickstarter. I didn't get much backers during the campaign. Like this was like the difficult part. I still feel like the biggest thing was literally the pre-launch is where it's like, I've, yeah. it almost felt like I reached the maximum of people I could reach. And then that was it. Like they were there, they're ready to buy, which is where I feel like maybe I just didn't need any crowdfunding. I just need to get their money. I think it is a really good point before we dive into your numbers, because we see this more and more, right? Where, where the, the pre-launch is such a big part of the overall campaign, or it's like you know, 70 or 80% of pledges. And those probably would have converted anywhere because you've already sent them a payment on a page that you literally built yourself with Stripe and Mailer Light. So it is, I think, a very valid point that you know, what is the added benefit of Kickstarter at that point? That's a funny thing, though, because... I've spoken to a few other creators and I think what I hear more and more is I think the crowdfunding world has changed that before there was always this thing, okay, you're going to do, you're going to do pre-launch and you're going to gather maybe, you know, 30% of, of your backers and then the rest is going to come during the campaign. What I feel now, actually, it's a lot more, it's literally, you almost feel like it's all about the pre-launch. Once you've mm -hmm. launched, it's like, oh, people know the system and they know how it works and everything and they know the best prices at the beginning of the campaign and... At least for me, it was, it was very like the curve was extremely flat. I, I also feel like maybe it has to do a little bit with Facebook advertising these days. Obviously, you know, Kickstarter didn't have the pixel. It has it now, but the pixel overall mm -hmm. is not as good as it was before iOS 14. Mm -hmm. And obviously when you run like a lead generation ad campaign, Facebook has a lot more data points to optimize on, right? Because you're going to have lots of people sign up for email, which is a conversion sort of data point versus purchases on Kickstarter, which are just always going to be less, mm -hmm. more email signups mm -hmm. than you're going to have purchases. And therefore mm -hmm. you just train the Facebook algorithm better mm -hmm. and for a longer period of time. So that's my personal theory as to why that, yeah, might be more effective. Yes, yeah. That's a very interesting point about why the pre-launch works so well, because you get, mm -hmm. you get all that Facebook data at all the points, basically you get it when they go on the page. And you get exactly. more when put the email, and then if they even go further, put like the one that yeah. reservation. Then it's exactly. like, well, okay, it's, this is a good lead, and yeah, exactly. That's at least my my hypothesis, and and also you probably have more time. So how long how long did you run your pre launch for? Yeah, I would say about two, maybe three months. It's like I felt. I remember I didn't have the set dates, but it's like I could yeah. feel it. I remember I could feel that okay, now it's time to launch. I had like more and more people decided running to me like, oh, this is a scam. He's just running ads. And he's, not, he's never going to launch. <laughs> and when I get more and more of these, I feel like, okay, now it's probably time to launch. Like people are saying, okay. this in the same ad. What a great so, tip. The moment people start calling you a scam is when you need to launch. <laughs> That's how you know. Okay. Let's, let's dive into your numbers. So numbers, so you didn't mention this, but I launched a first campaign on, also on Kickstarter actually, before I did yep. all the pre-launch and everything. And that campaign didn't work, as in I didn't reach the goal. But funny enough, for that campaign, I had about 400 leads. And at the end, I ended up about 100 backers, like, you know, in the first days. So that's like the 25% conversion rate, basically, from my leads. Yeah. To, to the backers, which I think is pretty high. And I think, again, is very specific to my product. It's because it's very, it's a very niche product. So like, I don't think random people would just sign up if they were not actually interested. So I think that's why, like, normally people say like this much lower than 25%. But funny enough, that 25%, even though numbers grew basically on the next campaign, the one that was successful, 
I still kind of saw the same because when I launched, I had about 4,000 leads, 4,000 emails, and I had 1,000 VIPs. That's 25%. <laughs> wow. And, and the VIPs all yeah. converted? And that's the thing. So it's, again, yet another thing that annoys me about Kickstarter. There's no way to control any of this. I have no idea. Like all you can do is just guess and, and compare things. And I've tried, but you, there's no precise number. There's no way to exactly know who converted. Yeah. My guess, my guess is they almost all converted. I think it's probably like above 90%, maybe even above 95%. And at the end, I've sold 1,200 uh, devices. Yeah. And some people bought two devices. So I think I have maybe 1,000, I don't know, 50 backers. Which makes me feel again, so I got 50 backers from Kickstarter. Yeah, there are cases, right, where, so for example, with Kickstarter, if they put you in one of their newsletters, you know, that's a huge boost. But that's kind of like winning the lottery, I feel like. So we work with Simon, right? He was our client for ads. One of the things we do is if we think that a campaign is great, we definitely help reaching out to Kickstarter, whether it's Heather on the design technology team, who's my former colleague, or it's someone on the games team. We help folks reach out and basically all we do is like, here's who that person is and how you can reach them. And we make sure that the campaign page is in a good shape to present to Kickstarter. Before you do that, Simon's page is already in great shape, but that's basically what we do on projects where we feel that they have a good chance to be project we love material. But your overall Kickstarter traffic wasn't really helped by that. Is that what I'm getting from this? Yeah, my point is, I don't know if I was in any newsletter. I don't think so, because I think she would have told I me. Think so yeah. But yeah, I don't feel like I got any traffic. The Kickstarter has this thing where in the dashboard, they can tell you, oh, we, we gave you that many percents. That percentage is always way higher than it actually is. So you get a, a, about a 25% conversion rate from the emails that you've collected. Um, mm -hmm. And you did, and just to be clear, you collected emails through a landing page, not through on Facebook lead collection, right? Yeah, all on the landing page. On the landing page, exactly. So those are then like a, a higher quality. But it was, speaking of actually ads, obviously I run ads to get the leads. Yeah. Um, and the most, like the best ads I could ever run the Facebook. Yeah, like I've tried all sorts actually, and it's always Facebook that wins. So yeah. yeah. I also think, again, maybe my target is a bit older. So maybe people that have like younger targets, other platforms would work better. Yeah. Most projects that where we run TikTok ads or Reddit ads or even Google ads, they just don't perform as well as Facebook. And my theory is that Facebook has been around for so long that it has so much granular data on people mm. that just knows how to target them better because maybe they like, I don't know, how old are you, Simon? I am 33. Okay. I'm 32. So we kind of, we're the same age. If you're anything like me, you kind of got Facebook 15 years ago or whatever, and then you kind of like grew up with that and you stopped using it, but then you still use Instagram probably and you mm. still use WhatsApp. Mm. So they still have this 15 year mm. profile of you, whereas TikTok just has like a two year profile on you if you mm. use it to begin with. So mm. that's interesting. Yeah. It's crazy actually you say this and I think about my friends and it's true. You can go back to their Facebook profile like literally 15 yeah. years ago. So you ran your own ads for the pre-launch, right? Tell us what you learned, like what worked well, what didn't work well, were there things that surprised you? I mean, I did something that was pretty uncommon. I think is I was, I went really deep into answering messages. Like my goal with all of this was really to connect with people. 
And it's so surprising. People always think like, as soon as you're successful, you're going to have so many people writing to you. And actually, I never had that experience, except maybe literally on launch day or like on very, very specific days. But okay, it was a bit overwhelming, but it dies very quickly. I think nowadays people are just busy and like to get actually people to comment on an ad, for example, first, you need to put a lot of money. Like it needs to run a lot. It needs to be a successful ad. Like it's not that. It's easy. So I feel like every single comment, every people that was making the photo commenting, and some of them were actually pretty awful, I would still enter and I would still like start a conversation. Like, because some of them were actually really bad. Like, they were just saying, oh, this is clearly an ad, this is clearly fake. And then when I started speaking with them, we actually had a full conversation. And then all of a sudden, they had an actual interest because I had their attention. I very much believe that haters are the best future backers, 100%, because clearly, they get triggered by your product or by the thing that you do and they engage. And at the end of the day, it's, it's just about engagement. And then it's up to you to kind of steer that back in a good direction. And sometimes I see creators make the, do the opposite where they get a lot of hate and they're just like, ah, I don't know what to do. Like, ah, panic, just hiding, you know, and then that just grows and grows and grows. But what you did is so smart. You just engaged with them and then you kind of turned their energy mm -hmm. around. But at least these are people mm -hmm. with energy and with engagement. So. Yeah. Some of them. I also had people that are really nice. Like, I also had people that are defending me at some point, which was really cool. Sure. Like when people were commenting yeah. horrible things, I had other people commenting underneath saying, oh, that's not true. And so how did you go about running the actual ads itself? I guess that's self-taught as well, right? You just found out how to do that. I mean, the technical side of thing is not that complicated. You need to set up the pixel correctly and all this stuff, like all the events and everything. And then the marketing side of thing, that's always been my problem basically like writing the actual text choosing the picture and all that stuff something i've learned and you guys are the marketing experts so feel free to tell me if i'm wrong but something i've learned is actually there's no there's no perfect text there's no perfect image it's all about testing it's like yeah. there's no other way there's no way to know you just write the thing and then you see what works for sure 100 percent. even sometimes weird creatives outperform beautiful creatives yeah you have no idea if you had to sort of Pick one thing that made your campaign a success. What would it be? It'd be the pre-launch. That's yeah. a reservation. Wonder reservation thing. Actually, there's another factor. There's, and it's going to sound very proud, but I also think I made a good product. And yes, because I've seen people doing the same thing, doing all the marketing right and everything. And it, it is at yes. the end still, you're still selling a product. So it's like crowdfunding is one thing, it's a tool. But if you don't have a good product, if you don't come at the right time, the right pricing, well, it's not going to sell. It's like, at the end, there's no magic. Yeah. I'm happy you say that because we as an agency sometimes have products that we work on where we're not sure, you know, about the product and people can get really wrapped up in how good they think the product is. And then, you know, obviously it has to be like everyone's fault except the product. And, mm -hmm. and I do believe very much that the right products, I think your journey is a great example of that. If you just kind of push it a little bit, you know, like you're not the most seasoned marketing expert, but you're, you're a very smart guy, but you didn't spend boatloads of money on like super expensive videos and like super expensive graphics and hiring a copywriter. You just presented the product, but you just presented a great product well, and then you kind of feel market pool. Um, so yeah, it, it does start mm -hmm. with a great product and. But you also really understood your audience very well because I, you shared some research, I think, that you did in the beginning, right? Like, how does it compare to other products? The German one that you talked about, 
you know, who might it appeal to? Like 100% looking into your competitors, knowing who your competitors are. But again, like I always feel, especially creators, I feel like most crowdfunding creators are people that created a product for themselves. Like I did this, yeah. like I needed, I needed a device like this. So I made one. And I feel a lot of people did the same, same thing. Like all the crowdfunding campaigns I've seen, it's always like, oh, I had this problem. So I made this device, this thing to solve it. And I'm trying to sell it. So already there, because you're your own clients, where you should know the reason why you made it in the first place, probably because there was nothing in the market like it. So already there, you've kind of done your research. Like for me, it was literally, it was my friend that we needed a device like this. It wasn't even me. And he literally looked for years everywhere. He was like, there's not a single device that can do this. And he was so annoyed by it. So it was like, so he, that way he did the research for me. But 100% looking into other companies, I think that's definitely super important. So you know what's there and then know their weaknesses, know their strength, their prices. Yeah. So I wanted to end this by asking, you know, for everyone listening, thinking of starting a crowdfunding campaign or a Kickstarter, what advice would you give? Is your advice going to be don't do it because you didn't like Kickstarter? Or do you still feel happy that you went on this journey? No, I love the crowdfunding experience. I think it's amazing. And I think we live in this amazing world where more and more people do crowdfunding. Like even big companies start to do crowdfunding. And sometimes it's difficult for the backers, but I think it's like the whole mindset is changing. The buying mindset is changing. People don't buy finished products anymore. They buy unfinished products cheaper. And a lot of them are going to complain about it and say, oh, don't better test on your customers. But then they want the device like half the price that it should be. So it's also a balance, but I think it literally is like this mindset. You have more and more people than that. Point is, I see companies that every time they launch a new product, they always give like a half price version. Uh, yeah. That's pre-sales basically, because that's what crowdfunding is. It's just pre-sale. So like my experience with Kickstarter specifically was not very good. Hopefully it's going to improve, but crowdfunding, I definitely recommend. And actually, I also want to say, I mean, I'm here, you know, with you guys and, and for anyone listening, this is not George asking me to say this, but I just want to say I had actually a really good experience with you guys oh, that overall, thanks. I think I, I clicked with you, George, specifically, like uh, when we had the first meeting and stuff, just like very nice personality and like overall experience with you guys was really cool. Uh, like for me, it matters a lot to sleep. It's not necessarily like the results, but it's also like the way people work because I feel like the results, you can never know. There's so many factors and stuff. And like in your case, you guys run ads for me and you did a really good job. And what was more important for me, more than the results, is like the way you handled, if there was an issue, the way we talked, and like the whole process was really smooth. It was Thank a really pleasure working with you guys. That's really Thank nice. And, and my overall advice and for people wanting to do this is do it. Like start a pre-launch and then on the pre-launch, you can see what's happening. If people like the product, then do it. Then launch on Kickstarter or Indiegogo or, or another platform. If I was to launch now, I would definitely launch on another platform, like maybe on my own oh. or something. Thank you so much for the kind words. That really means a lot. It's completely mutual. Like we loved working with you as well. And I think there's like, there's product market fit. But there's also like creator agency fit. I think that matters. And yeah, you were just such a, such a dream to work with. So I'm also not surprised that you did so well. So obviously now that people have heard how great you are and how great the product is, where can they go to follow or get their own MyDronome? They can find it on, on the website, which is www.thenameoftheproducts.com. So that's the name of the product. Yes. Yes. Great. So MyDronome.com, if you are a musician that's making electronic music, you want to stay in sync, you want to stay on beat, this is the product for you. And it's much cheaper than the German alternative and just as good or 
better probably. Simon, thank you so much. It's been absolutely wonderful catching up with you and thank you for taking the time. I know you're super busy. Simon is currently fulfilling the Kickstarter orders. So if you were a backer, you will get yours pretty soon, right? Yeah, in about a month too. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much, Simon. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, lovely. Thank you.